0: the beginning of today's service. We're going to be focusing on plagues eight and nine today, the locusts and the darkness. And um, it's actually rather fitting that we're going to be doing them on Palm Sunday, as you will see hopefully as we move through this. So Hopefully you've been enjoying our series up to this point. We've looked at seven plagues already, one through to seven. And as we established early, in Hebrew, the word plague actually is to strike a blow. And so what we're witnessing through these plagues is a battle royale, so to speak, between Egypt's gods and Israel's God. It's really a battle of the deities as to whose nation has the most powerful gods. And that is determining what plagues or blows God of Israel is sending upon the Egyptians. He's not just doing them willy-nilly, he's very deliberate in his focus to attack and beat and overpower particular Egyptian gods. It's a very deliberate and strategic choice in these plagues, these blows. And so we're going to look at the next two today, locusts and darkness. But before we do, how about we pray? And then I want to touch on something. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, and that you who wrote the this inspired Moses to write this and it, write all your word lives inside of us. And I pray that you will open our eyes and our ears to what you have to say to us today. So we can know you better, draw closer to you and reflect you better in a, in our daily lives. And we thank you for that in your son's name. Amen. I just want to touch really quickly on something that a lot of Christians... Um, misunderstand or misimagine, especially as they read through the Old Testament and as we're focusing on the plagues, many have this picture that it is God the Father versus the Egyptian gods. But it's actually God, the triune God, versus the Egyptian gods. Now that's significant because what that means is that it's not just God the Father doing battle with these Egyptian gods and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are sitting back in their deck chairs sucking on pina coladas going, could you hurry up? They're actively involved in this this process. It is God the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all engaged in this. And God the Son comes to earth as we know in the form of Jesus, but God the Son has always been around. He was there in creation. He is there now in Egypt. And he obviously then comes to earth and he's still alive today in heaven sitting by the Father's right hand. But what we need to understand, and this is what I just want to quickly point out, that God the Son is here now. And as we look at the plagues and then from Easter, from next week onwards, Jesus really starts to become a lot more explicit in our in, our, in what we look at with the Israelites um, and their journey from Plague 10 onwards, jesus we're going to spend a lot more time focusing on Jesus explicitly. It's not as though Jesus, when he came to earth, had to read all the history books to work out what happened. He was there in the form of God the Son. Okay, And that needs to be understood. And many people don't quite understand that. So let's move on with the plague of locusts, the eighth plague. And the interesting thing, the first thing is right in verse 1, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials. Now we've discussed that it's not God deliberately making Pharaoh's heart hard against Pharaoh's will and Pharaoh would have acted differently if only he had the opportunity, but that nasty God of Israel has made him act this way. What God is doing is God is acting in a way, knowing what Pharaoh's response is going to be, that it is going to be rejecting God of Israel further and further, and he is acting that way deliberately. He is deliberately acting in a way that he knows Pharaoh is not going to like. Now, it's just like every parent in the room, and even if you're not a parent, but you've ever had any interaction with kids, you know that you're going to make decisions that sometimes the kids are not going to like. Does that mean you don't make the decision when it's in their best interest? No, you make the decision anyway, knowing how they're going to respond. But I want to play with this knife. No, knives are not toys to play with. Oh, but I want to. No. And then you know that by saying no, they're going to chuck a tantrum and run to their room and throw something around or whatever. But you do so regardless. And that's what God's doing. God is acting the way that God is choosing to act, knowing how Pharaoh is going to respond to that. But he does it anyway. Why would he do it? There's two groups of people he wants to impact. Firstly, the Egyptians. He wants the Egyptians to know he is God. And so he is going to act this way and do what he is doing so the Egyptians are under no mistake, he is God. There's a second group of people that he wants to impress upon the fact that he is God. And that's the Israelites, (laughs) who are conspicuously quiet and have been quiet for some period of time now, haven't they? Through all the plagues, they've been almost too quiet. But God wants them to know that he is God. And so he is acting this way to make sure they know he is God because of what's going to happen in the desert. And he is trying to impress upon them the need to listen to him. And they're a little like us. They're a little bit of a slow learner. And we're no better. So that's why he's doing it. But there's two interesting insights with God acting the way he's acting towards Pharaoh that should be a lesson to us. Firstly, when God tells us to do something and goes tells us to take his word and witness to the, our community to show the community how awesome he is, he already knows how people are gonna respond. He already knows what Bill and Jake and Ted and Frank and Melissa and Amy and Michelle and whoever else down the street, he knows how they're gonna respond. But he says to us, go anyway. He knows what's gonna happen but he says go. Why? So they're without excuse. But there's another little interesting insight which we would do well to remember. When God tells us to do something, guess what? He knows our response. (laughs) He knows exactly how we're going to respond to his leading, to his directing, to his, his prompts. So do we listen? Do we actually do what he says or do we find ourselves... Maybe not listening so well or conveniently not hearing. Conveniently forgetting. It's an interesting first up challenge, isn't it? So if we get back to our story, God says to Moses and Aaron, go and tell Pharaoh what the plan is. And he doesn't do this for all of them as we see in plague nine, but in plague eight, he gives Pharaoh the heads up. And Moses tells him tomorrow there's going to be locusts unless you let us go. And sure enough, the locusts come, which gives Moses credibility as well because things are happening as Moses says. Now Moses is following God's leading and directing and saying what God wants him to say. But by doing this and the locusts coming, it gives Moses greater credibility. And at this point, even... Pharaoh's advisors, if you think back to the first couple of plagues, his advisors and his, his religious leaders and, and, and his wise men were trying to compete with Moses and Aaron. But even now they're going, come on. How about we just give them what they want, get, a, get them out of here. This is, this is a nightmare. Even they're not trying to still do battle They're already holding the white flag and it's Pharaoh who's digging his heels in and how often do we do that? How often do we choose not to listen to God and then when it turns pear-shaped it's God's fault? Often? See if If Pharaoh had jumped onto Google and Googled up what today is, he would have found out that today is International Fact-Checking Day. International Fact-Checking Day. And had he Googled it, he would have known. But he's deliberately ignoring the facts. There's been seven plagues up to this point, every single one of them the Egyptians have come out on the losing end and he still thinks he's the boss. And so, after rejecting the offer to look up Google on his smartphone, the plague comes. Now, as we've said, each of the plagues are aimed at a different Egyptian god. And this one's no different. This one we're going to look at is Seth. The locust was aimed at the god named Seth. Now, Seth was the god of storms and disorder. And by worshipping Seth, there was order. There was um, things were kept in control. And so by sending a plague of locusts, a storm of locusts, That's showing up, Seth, as you have no control over order. You have no control over the way things work. Again, it says to Seth, you have no power. Yet again, God of Israel comes out on top over the Egyptian gods. And the locusts eat everything. The account even says, if you keep reading, They ate what was left over after the hail. So the hail's taken out most things and then whatever was left after the hail, the locusts destroy. Egypt is getting decimated all because of Pharaoh's pride. They ate everything. Now... The thought that occurred to me, and, and maybe it's occurring to you at this point as well, as we look at the locusts and, and we look at the Egyptian economy overall, the cattle, the sheep, the, the hay, the, the wheat, the, it's getting absolutely pulverised, isn't it? Now what happened 20 odd chapters ago? Pardon? Yes, the time of Joseph. So we go back 20 odd chapters and we have Joseph in Egypt. And Egypt and the Pharaoh of the time and the people of Egypt chose to listen to God's servant. And they were greatly blessed in a time of absolute natural disaster and had plenty of food when there was no food going around. God provided for them because they chose to listen to God's servant. Now we fast forward 20 chapters to Moses and what's going on now, and they're refusing to listen to God's servant. They're refusing to acknowledge God. And what's happening? In a time of plenty, when there is no disaster, they've got nothing. Don't you find that kind interesting link? That when they listen to God's servant, even... God's willing to bless Egyptians, but when they don't listen, they get decimated even in a time of plenty. So in the middle of the pain, Pharaoh admits that he's gotten it wrong. He's made a mistake again. And he asks Moses to call off the, the locusts. And God does. And then what does... Pharaoh do. He goes back on his word again. And so we move into Plague 9. Now, here's where it gets interesting. On Palm Sunday. See, there was no announcement for this one. God didn't bother to let Pharaoh know what was going to happen. There was no warning. Now, the Egyptian god that we're going to focus on is Ra, R-A, Ra. And he was the Egyptian god of the sun. And so it's pretty obvious, this one, why God would darken the earth for three days over the Egyptians, because it's attacking Ra, who's in control of the sun. And by darkening it for three days, it says that he has no power. Now, some people... As, as we've said previously, try and explain all these different things by offering explanations that mean that it wasn't really a, a miracle at all, it really wasn't divine intervention by God. It was just a natural occurrence. And they try and say that this was just a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse or whatever sort of eclipse eclipses the sun. Except this lasts for three days. That's no natural occurrence. Plus, the fact that it's only dark where the Egyptians are. The Israelites get plenty of light, don't they? That's not just a natural occurrence. And it's so dark that it's piercing. It's not just let's close the curtains and blinds, turn the lights off, and. It's piercing darkness. It's a piercing sort of thing that you can feel it. People are bumping into each other. That's how dark it is. Now I don't know about you, but I'm not exactly the smallest person on the planet. And when we're within a metre of each other, I'd like to think that you're gonna see me. (laughs) Now we both might step to one way, step to the other to avoid each other, but you've seen me and you're trying to avoid me, whereas the account is they're not seeing each other. They're just walking along merrily. Oh, there's someone there. That's the sort of darkness we're talking. And why would I say this is interesting relating to Palm Sunday? Well, if we look at the the reading that Mark read out in Luke, it's Jesus riding in on the donkey And there's not a skerrick of eclipse in there. So what's it got to do with it? Well, religious leaders only saw trouble. Jesus riding to victory on his his donkey. And the religious leaders, the crowd's going nuts. They're singing and cheering and putting their coats down and they've got palm branches. And they think that this is the time. Rome are about to go. The crowd the disciples everyone is still thinking in a physical kingdom sense they're still expecting Romans to get turfed out okay and a free sovereign nation of Israel about to get set back up again Jesus is gonna lead it we're gonna ride to victory ha 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 and so they're preparing for that and the religious leaders are seeing the trouble With that, because if the crowd get too loud, Rome have no problems in sending down some soldiers to quieten it. Any means necessary. Okay? They were the orders. There was no human rights back then where you can't touch me. (laughs) Yes, they can. And it was not done with a tickle. Rome will use any means necessary to quieten the crowd. And the religious leaders are seeing that and they're going, hey, everyone, knock it off. Jesus, tell your followers, tell these people, be quiet. And what does Jesus respond with? Even the stones will call out. Even the stones will sing. If this entire crowd goes quiet this second, even the stones will sing. And... It's quite interesting that God will have his way. And as we look at the Egyptians' first Israelites, God will have his way. And we like to, John is very big on comparing light and darkness and God is light, Satan and sin is darkness. And it flows through the New Testament. John's, as I said, very big on it. But here we see it back in the Old Testament in Exodus. Light versus darkness. God is light. God's people are in the light. People who reject God are in the darkness. And there's already in Exodus 10 this comparison. God is light. God is good. Without God there is an absence of light. What's an absence of light? Darkness. And so you have this forming. And after this, after three days of darkness, Pharaoh chats with Moses again. And he says, get out of my sight. This is in verse 28. We didn't read this. But Pharaoh says to Moses, this is after the darkness in verse 28 get out of my sight make sure you do not appear before me again the day you see my face you will die and Moses goes not a problem gotcha interesting isn't it what sort of attitude do you think Pharaoh's got at this point it's a confusing attitude he's just now had nine plagues where his nation the one that he is responsible for has copped an absolute beating to a pulp and he thinks that by sending Moses out of his presence, get away from me, don't, don't speak to me again, that's the end of it. Okay, well, battle's off now. You didn't win because I didn't concede. No more battle. Does Pharaoh seriously think that's the end of it? Do we seriously think that's the end of it when we don't do what God wants us to do? God says, do this. And we go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do it later. (laughs) And then just we conveniently forget. Do we really think that's the end of it? God has a pretty good memory. Yet too often... We don't. We don't give God the respect that God deserves. And too often we're like Pharaoh. Now you may have noticed something that I haven't mentioned so far with both plagues, plague 8 and plague 9. And I deliberately skipped over them because I want to focus on them now. On both plagues, Plague 8 and Plague 9, Pharaoh tries to bargain. It's not the first plague he's tried to bargain on, but it's very prevalent in these two plagues. And I want to look at it now. He tries to bargain with them in Plague 8. He tries to say, well, the men can go, but the women and children and everything else need to stay, i.e. I want to guarantee you're coming back. And then in Plague 9, when Moses goes, yeah, no, and the locusts come, locusts go, and then darkness comes, darkness goes, he tries to say, okay, this time your women and children can go with the men, but you have to leave all your herds, all your wealth, everything you own needs to stay here. And of course... Moses goes, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And while Pharaoh should have been Googling International Fact-Checking Day, he could have also Googled one of the most common themes and lines from the cowboy movies in the 60s. Now, I, I know there's a few people here who, who probably really enjoyed them, back in the 60s with all sorts of people but there's an old saying that comes out of those movies it says dead men don't bargain and what it's saying is that when you're completely outgunned when you're completely copying an absolute snot beating when you're on the losing end in a real big way and there's no chance of you winning You don't hold any power. You don't have the situation to go calling the shots. And Pharaoh at this point still thinks he's in control. He still thinks that he has the power, even after nine plagues, he has the right and he has the ability, the position to be calling the shots. And he doesn't realise yet that dead men don't bargain. He is in no place to go determining the terms of how this is going to work out. He needs to submit to the God of Israel, which he is unwilling to do. So what do we do with all that? What do we do with that tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? How does this apply to our lives? Who are you wrestling with and trying to bargain with? See, how are you responding to God when God tries to get your attention? And make no mistake, God's trying to get your attention. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian, not a Christian, follower of Christ, not follower of Christ, 20 years, 50 years, 3 hours. God was trying to get your attention last week. And he's going to try again this week. He has things he wants to say to you. He has things he wants you to know. Are you listening? Are you listening? Or are you trying to be a pharaoh and bargain with God? Too often we think that we have the power... And we want God to jump through our hoops. We have hoops and we want God to jump through our hoops and when God jumps through our hoops for us like a good little puppy dog, then we will do whatever God wants us to do. You jump through our hoops and then I will do what you want. And that's not how it works. God doesn't jump through any hoops we're the ones who need to jump through the hoops. And God goes, I don't want you to jump through hoops. I want you just to come to me. But are we? See, God's trying to help you not just know him with your head. Being a follower of Christ is not about a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. Because your heart knowledge affects how you live, how you speak, how you act, how you listen, how you love, how you interact with people. That's heart knowledge. And you can have all the head knowledge you want. I've got a dozen different theology textbooks, all of them about this thick. You can memorise every single word on every single page, for all I care. But if that's where it stays in your head then you're not a follower of Christ. You might be a believer, but you're not a follower. A follower has heart knowledge. It applies it to their they apply it to their daily life each and every day. They're living out Christ to the community. That's what a follower does. So when you're right, don't be proud. When you're wrong, be quick to apologize and be humble about it. Listen with love. Love without judgment. Don't be self-righteous. You want to know the biggest difference between someone who's never stepped foot in a church and never read a Bible and me? One of the biggest difference, by some unknown reason, God revealed Himself to me first. That's the only difference. Wasn't anything I did. It's not because I've got an IQ of five hundred. It's not because I got the looks of Fabio. It's because God for some reason, chose to reveal himself to me. It was God revealing himself to me and I pray that he will reveal himself to Joe Bloggs down the street. And you know what? There's a good chance he's going to use me to reveal himself to Joe Bloggs if I'm willing to listen and not bargain with God. Take God at his word. Do what God wants rather than being a Pharaoh. Submit to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great and heavenly God. We thank you that you do know best and you see and know so much more than we could possibly comprehend And I pray that this week we will submit to you that we won't try and make you jump through hoops, but we will take you at your word that our lives will reflect you and we will listen and do what it is that you want us to do this week so that you can use us, so we can be shaped by you and know you better. And I pray to you for this, Lord, that others will come to know you and that your kingdom will grow Your name will be worshipped and glorified because of the work you're doing. In your son we ask. Amen.